Father, we're so thankful that we have the privilege to worship you. And as, as we just sang, we can run into your arms unashamed because of your mercy. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your grace, your goodness, your love, all that you are, Father. We, we're just delighting ourselves in you. And I, and I pray, Lord, that tonight we would just see who we are in Christ, that you would speak to us, that you would show us, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good evening, family. Good evening, Pastor Dan. What a night. Yeah. Every night we get together, every time we get together, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful expression of Christ's love for us and our love for him, too. And uh, I'm just blessed by our, our worship tonight. It was just from the heart, beautiful and rich and full and honoring to God. That's really what it's about. Is It's not about any one person or people. It's about honoring our Lord. And I, I believe that we did that tonight. Um, we're continuing on in, in 1 Kings, and tonight we're beginning chapter 9, in verses 1 through 9. Uh, and then we're going to jump into Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, but tonight's message is entitled, The Richness of Being in Christ. And this is really important for us because for those of us that, that know Christ, that we're saved, we are in Christ. And because of that, we have a lot of blessings. And we're going to touch on a few of those tonight. But we've seen, as we wrapped up chapter 8, we've seen how Solomon's temple was completed. It was dedicated unto the Lord and no longer would there be a tabernacle that would be moved to follow them, this, this temple that, that Solomon built. It was a permanent place considered to be in Jerusalem where God would meet with his people. We're told in chapter 1, uh, or excuse me, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, it says, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that's the holy place of the temple, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful expression that is, isn't it? And in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, it tells us a little bit more. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Can you imagine being there and seeing this fire come down from heaven and consume the sacrifices that were laid upon the altar? And it says, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And last week that we saw the, the 14 days of celebration, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles took place, and normally it's a seven-day feast, and there's just so much, uh, so much going on, so many sacrifices. They extended it out to 14 days. And the people left there on the eighth day, which is the first day of the, after the second week of the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were being blessed, it says. They, they left being blessed. And isn't it a wonderful thing to know that when we gather together in, in the name of Jesus, as we worship him, as we, we gather in his wonderful, beautiful name, we honor him, we learn of him, we grow together in him, that, that we're blessed, aren't we? We realize that he's such a wonderful God. 
and that he wants to bless us. This experience that, that Solomon had was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, the, the glory of the Lord being made manifest in the temple and, again, seeing the fire come down from heaven. But try to imagine being there and, and, all, and witnessing all that took place. It had to be absolutely overwhelming. You know, and, and sometimes when we gather together and we worship the Lord, I, I'm overwhelmed too. We just sang that, didn't we? But it can be overwhelming, the presence of God, the power of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the strength that he gives us. But from there, and this, mind you, this is a very, very high point in the history of Israel. From there, however, you know, after every high point, there can be a decline. And this is what we're going to find as we progress through the book of 1 Kings we're going to see Solomon in a downward spiral. We're not going to see much of that tonight, but as we read ahead in the scriptures, you'll see, yeah, there's, there's some trouble. And the nation of Israel will do the same thing. And, and maybe the people, as they witness this incredible glory of God entering the temple, the fire coming down, they would say this experience was life-changing. And it may have been for them. But might I suggest that this kind of thing has a temporary impact on a person's life, certainly something that they would never forget. I'm certain it was emblazoned upon their memories, but experiences are incapable of changing lives. Only the Word of God can do that. Only the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10 tells us this. For precept must be upon precept, Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And that's how change in a person's heart is accomplished. It's through the Word of God. Experiences don't make a heart change. They certainly can stir up emotion. And as we talked about the glory of the Lord filling the temple, the fire from heaven coming down and consuming the sacrifices upon the altar, there was a great emotional charge there. But what we're going to see is it didn't stick and they began to head downward verse 1 tells us this in chapter 9 and it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do interesting that the Holy Spirit of God highlights Solomon's desire not to say that God wasn't in it, but Solomon apparently had a desire, and that's what's being focused on here. The building and the dedication of this temple, it made him happy. It pleased him because it fulfilled his desire. But now the work is done. Now what? You know, how, how can Solomon top that? That's the problem. What we're going to find is that Solomon seeks fulfillment, but not from the Lord. And that spells T-R-O-U-B-L-E. It always spells trouble when we seek to find fulfillment in ways other than our satisfaction in the Lord our God. Verse 2 says that the Lord, the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him 
at Gibeon. Now, Gibeon was a place where God met with Solomon and said to Solomon, he said, ask what I shall give thee. Remember, God said, I'll give you anything that you want. And Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for a long life. He didn't ask for anything about himself. He didn't ask for the life of his enemies. And he answered God, and we see this in 1 Kings 3, verse 9, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this so great a people? Okay, Solomon, God said, I'll give you wisdom, and I'll also give you that which you haven't asked for too. And we've, we've studied that before. And the Lord said to him, verse 3, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication, and thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house for which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. So God is actually confirming the building of this temple. He said, my name will be there. Now the prayer that, that God refers to is what we were just studying in chapter 8. And the Lord does several things here, starting in verse 4. And we see uh, two words at the beginning of verse 4, and if, and then in verse 5, then, and then verse 6, but if, and then in verse 7, then. So again, there's, there's conditions that God is, is bringing forth here. And if you remember in chapter 8, that's what Solomon did. He went to dedicate the temple, but he dedicated the nation to God. And remember, there were seven cases, cases of an oath. First one, a case by two conflicting parties. And, and Solomon said, if this would happen, then God, you decide because you're righteous, you're the judge. And then he said, if we're attacked by enemies because of our sin and repent, then forgive their sin. And of course, there's five more cases that we studied. We're not going to go through those tonight. That was Solomon's prayer in chapter 8. But here in chapter 9, we see God saying to Solomon, if, then, if, and then. And let's look at verses 4 and 5. And if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. Again, this is conditional, isn't it? David, he says, he walked before me in the integrity of his heart and uprightness. And it's an interesting comment that, and commentary that God makes about David because we've studied his life and we know that he was a man that failed as, as we fail. He's a man that fell as we fall. But the Bible tells us in God's eyes he was a man after God's own heart. But we'll see, we'll see as we go on, and we know this, that, that David never turned to other gods. Never. Yes, he sinned, he failed, he fell, he repented, and God restored him. But he never turned to other gods. He sinned against God. He sinned before his God. He repented before his God. He asked for forgiveness before his God. And he was restored with his God. But never did David turn to worship other gods. Now turning back to Solomon... 
We know as we've studied his life, we see how the Lord loved him. We saw that while Solomon was young, he had special favor that was given to him. Again, we we saw the glory of the Lord fill the temple. Fire from heaven come down and consume the sacrifice. And God said to him, Solomon, if you do these things, and we read this in verse 5, or verse 4, then, and we just read those conditions. Well, what's God saying? Well, God is reminding Solomon, Solomon, if you obey, if you do what I asked you to do, then there would be blessings. However, and there's, of course, the other, the other half of that, the other side of that coin. If you choose to disobey, then God said, I'm going to judge. And then God speaks of the witness that Israel will have presented through disobedience. And, you know, our disobedience to God is always a poor witness, isn't it? And here's what he says in verse, uh, verses verses 6 and 7. But if, you'll, if you shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them and this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people. And at this house, which is high, every one that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? The question, after they see things taking place, as, as he said in verse 7, I'll cut off Israel out of the land, I will cast them out of my sight, and they shall be a proverb and a byword. In other words, there's, there's going to be mockery because they've turned against the Lord. In verse 8, the question, why has the Lord done this? Why has Israel become a proverb and a byword before the nations around them? And the question was, why has God done this? Well, the answer is found in verse 9. And they shall answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. He's saying it's because the people that forsook the Lord. They worshipped other gods. They, they served other gods. And our holy and just God had no choice but to judge. In other words, all this pain, it was self-inflicted. It couldn't blame God. You know, isn't that true with each of us too? You know, the grief we, we go through because of sin, the, the pain and the hurt, that's all self-inflicted. We can't blame God. God wants to bless. And he tells us where the blessings come from, and that's obedience to him. But, you know, we see in, in chapter 9 here that God has, has given them warnings. If you walk with me, then I'll bless. If you disobey me, then, of course, there's the consequences of those. But God always warns before he judges. He did, does it in the New Testament and Old Testament alike. Remember, think back to Sodom and Gomorrah. God warned. He said, I'm going to destroy them unless they turn. In Galatians chapter 5, 
verse 21. It says, Envyings and murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a warning from God. If, if you live a lifestyle as he's describing here, he said they won't even inherit the kingdom of God. And in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So God is saying, I'm going to bless you for your obedience, and God wants to bless us. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, we're very familiar with that verse. But it's a sign of our love for him when we obey him. In Luke 6, 46, says, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You know, truly, what Jesus is saying is, listen, if, you really, if I'm really your Lord, then you must obey me. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to talk about the blessings of obedience and along with that, the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. In this particular passage, what's taking place here is the final preparations are being made. God is making final preparations for his people to enter into the promised land. And of course, this is, speaks of Moses. He's a very inspirational leader. He's encouraging. He's motivating. Yes, he was a yes man. We, we know that about him. But he also said yes to God. So they're about to go into the promised land, and Moses, he gives a kind of pep talk, encouraging the people to obey God. So Let's, let's kind of listen in here to see what he has to say. It says in verse 1 of chapter 28, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command me this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. It's a promise of greatness, isn't it? Greatness above all the nations. And he said, if, if you hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord and observe, but not only observe, but do them. And he said that defines spiritual success. And we know James said, uh, be a, a, a doer of the word and not a hearer only, James 1.22. And you know, our tendency can be to read uh, with, with no effect. When we read God's word, sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, I'm not pointing fingers at you, just reading his word, and, you know, it's kind of just passing through rather than planting in. And I really need his word to be planted right into my heart. Otherwise, if it doesn't, then what happens is it goes in one ear, out the other, and it really doesn't do anything for me without effect. But verse 2, it says this, and all these blessings, they shall come upon thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. The promise from verse 1, above all other nations. And we see here, blessings will come on thee 
applied to you, cascading from heaven, and be overwhelmed in a wonderful way. He said the blessings will overtake, or the blessings will pursue you. In other words, you, you can't shake them off. Again, if you hearken or attend to or incorporate these things, all these blessings, and what are they? Well, let's look at verse 3. It begins here with the first blessing in location. It says, Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. In the city or the country, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. God says, I'm going to bless you wherever you are if you hearken diligently unto my word. The second blessing, verse 4, says God will bless the family. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle and the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Fruit of the body, children, grandchildren, he said, you're going to have a blessed family. Fruit of the increase in cattle and flocks. It speaks of their profession or their occupation. He says, you're going to prosper in your work. And back then, of course, in agricultural society and the livestock raising society, God's saying, you're going to bless your profession. Whatever it is, it's going to be fruitful and it's going to be blessed. If you do what? If you hearken unto my word and do them. The fourth blessing we see in verse 5, blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. In other words, you're going to have plenty to eat, and there's going to be some left over. You see, God will supply every need even more than the need. And if that wasn't enough, the fifth blessing, verse 6, it says, blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. And you're coming in and you're going out. In other words, your daily routine, the things that we do every day, what you do, routine won't be boring. God says it's going to be blessed because I'm in it, because you've made me part of it. Not dreadful, but delightful. Not burdensome, but beautiful. If you do what I ask, your every day will be blessed. Well, you think that's too many blessings? Hardly. There's a sixth one. Look at verse 7. It says, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. So not only blessings in location and in family, profession, cupboards or your supply and routine, but now victory over enemies within or without they're going to be scattered, similar to a frightened herd. Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And we understand that. In Isaiah 59.19, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Amen. Well, there's more. Verse 8, the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee, in thy storehouses, and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. He says, keep my commands. Hearken diligently. I'm going to care for your future. Yes, he, he cares for us now, but he also cares for us throughout eternity. 
And he said, whatever you put your hand to, in all the above, God will bless. You follow me, I'm going to take care of you. Amazing promises to God's children, but that's not all. Verse 9 is blessing number 8. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. He's saying, I'm going to give you stability, intimacy with God. He said, I'm going to establish thee a holy people unto myself. There'll be a, a stability in our relationship with him. So as we follow in the ways of the Lord, there's, there's a stable walk. It's not up one day, down the next. Rooted, grounded, and solid. Because we're following after the Lord. So what's the solution if, if, we, if we tend to wander or we're all over the place spiritually? Well, there's one solution only, and that is to stay close to Jesus. We don't want to be as a windblown ship. No, we need to stay close to Jesus. Promises here to establish in holiness, closeness, and intimacy. And when we read this, you know, it, we can't help but be in awe of these promises that God gives. And, and I believe with all my heart that we want to see blessings in, in our location, right? Wherever we are, we want to find those blessings in our family life in our profession, what, what God has asked us to do in terms of work, our daily needs, our daily re routines. We want to be a blessed with protection, provision for the future, stability and intimacy with God. And I believe all want that, don't we? Why wouldn't we want all this? Well, Moses is encouraging the people. He said, if you live rightly before the Lord, these blessings are going to come. It's encouraging. And you know, imagine as, as Moses was sharing these things with the people, I, I can imagine they're getting all fired up. Yeah, we're going to obey. We're going to hearken diligently. I want the blessings. They get all charged up, and then Monday morning comes. You know, we can leave here so encouraged on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, and we're all charged up, and then comes Monday, and it's like, oh, back to the grind. We mess up, we get distracted, don't we? Sometimes we get discouraged and we slip and we slide. We look to the left, we look to the right. And then what? Well, we're not so fired up anymore. See, our walk needs to be steadfast. God said, hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God. Observe and do all his commands. How, how many of his commands? He did all of them. All. All. But 9 out of 10 is close enough, isn't it? No, I don't think so. One guy out of 11 offsides in a football game is still offsides, isn't he? Yeah. But the other 10 were fine. No, one. And there's a penalty. The whistle blows and then the play's dead. You know, James said this in chapter 2, verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Well, isn't 90% a passing grade? Isn't it good enough? No, because I'm an offender. Galatians 3, verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in the things which are written in the book of the law 
to do them. So if we're living under the law, if we try to live under the law, we're cursed if we don't perform all the law. I remember years ago on a job I had, there was a guy who was sharing with me a friend of his that decided, well, I'm going I'm to, he, he, he was a professed Christian, and he said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to live according to all the commandments of God. He didn't trust in the grace of Jesus Christ anymore. He said, I'm going to do this. And my friend said, he is the most miserable person I ever met in my life. Why? Because he was trying to do the impossible. And even if he could execute what appeared to be right on the outside, guess what? The heart is still flawed, isn't it? Moses said, if you want the blessings, obey all the commands. Well, I consider that to be a problem. I, I want to do that, don't you? Yeah. I want to obey all the commands of God, but I can't. But the key is this. There is one who kept all the law. Remember Pontius Pilate, when he was examining Jesus, he found no fault in him. And the Holy Spirit of God put a dream in Pilate's wife. And he said, he's a just man. The religious elite, they had to fabricate lies knowing that Jesus did no wrong. And he's the perfect one. He's the sinless one, the spotless one, and he became my sin on the cross because I'm a lawbreaker. And I became the law keeper through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Is this real? Absolutely it's real. Is it fair? Well, no and yes. Jesus took on my sin. He became my sin. And I became his righteousness. Did he ever sin? No. But he took my punishment. Is that fair? No. But it's grace, isn't it? The grace of God. So from our perspective, it's really not fair, but from God's, yes, his love is so deep, so great, so indiscernible that he would say, my son took your place. So none of us, we realize this, and, and you've tried it. You've, in fact, I'm sure many times in your life you've tried and tried and tried, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do it right, and guess what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what do we do? You know, we're talking about the blessings of obedience tonight. What do we do? You know, in, in order to be blessed, knowing that we can't completely obey. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, tells us this. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. Everything in Christ is yea and amen. Notice he said, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was not yea and nay, but all yea, all yes. You see, the word was that they preached was not wishy-washy. It wasn't hot or cold. 
it was not here today and gone tomorrow. The word Jesus Christ is true, and the word Jesus Christ made flesh, the word made flesh that dwells among us is true without fail. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him, that's in Jesus, are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. All the promises of God are what? Yea, and amen. amen. You know, we just read of the blessings in Deuteronomy, and all are yea, yes, and amen in Jesus Christ. You see, he fulfilled every single element of the law, outwardly and inwardly. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill them. For who? <laughs> for us. He came to fulfill them for us. So this means that Jesus hearkened diligently to the voice of his Father. He observed all the commandments he was able to keep all the commandments, and guess what? He gets all the blessings from obedience. Because all are yea and amen in him. Well, there's good news in this for us. When you became a Christian, you believed by faith that Jesus is who he said he is, the one that came to this earth and died a brutal death on a cross to pay a penalty we could never pay. You believe it by faith. And when the Holy Spirit apprehended your heart, what happened is you repented from your sin. You came before the throne of God and asked for forgiveness, and you began to trust him and declared him to be your Lord and to be your Savior. And then something wonderful happened. You were placed in Christ in Christ in you. How did this happen? Well, I responded to his invitation. When I said yes to Jesus, I became part of him. Do I deserve that? Do I deserve those blessings? No. But Jesus deserved them. And I'm in him and he's in me. So his blessings then become my blessings. This is incredible. So what do we have in Christ? What are these, these, this richness that we have? Well, we're justified. God looks at us like we've never sinned. In fact, in Romans 3.24, it says being justified freely without a cost to us. Justified freely by what? His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So yes, we are justified freely. God looks at us through the shed blood of his son, sees us as spotless, sinless, pure, and holy. But it doesn't end there. We're not condemned. Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So we're justified we haven't received any condemnation. Third thing we can rest assured of, and that is that God will always love us. Always. Even when we mess up and we think, how could he possibly love this? Guess what? He loves you with a perfect love. Romans chapter 8, 
verse 39 says, nor height. There was a bunch of other descriptions before that. Neither height nor depth nor any other creature. In other words, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're justified. We're not condemned. We're loved. But you know what else? We are approved by God. God approves you. Romans 16, verse 10 says, Salute Apelles, approved. How? Not on our own, but approved in Christ. And not only that, we are sanctified. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, which means you're purified, you're made holy in Christ Jesus. We, we don't have any holiness of our own, but we carry the righteousness of Christ, the holiness, the purity of Christ. That's who we are. I mean, this is all too much for me sometimes to even get my mind around. But all these things are true because God says it's true. First Corinthians 1.30 But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, whom of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It's all because of Jesus. We also have hope as believers, don't we? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of men most miserable. In other words, it can't end here. Our hope is in Christ. And our hope is in heaven because of what Jesus has done. So we are, we're a people of hope, aren't we? And we're a people of promise. And it doesn't end there. We've been given a new life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You and I, we are born again by God's Holy Spirit. We are alive. And yeah, these tents are going to perish, but you know the Spirit of God within us lives forever and ever and ever. And the only people on this planet that can make that claim are those that belong to Jesus Christ. We're also firmly rooted and grounded in Christ. He's our foundation. 2 Corinthians 1.21 Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. So we're, we're established by him. He's our foundation. We're also triumphant. 2 Corinthians 2.14 now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Victory. Victory in Jesus. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Also, we have been made new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Can, can you speak to that in your life? where there's such newness in your life that since you've come to Christ, and sometimes we don't see it as maybe we ought to acknowledge it. Because oftentimes what happens is these changes that God makes in our life, some are very, very quick and very radical and, and, and almost shocking to us, aren't they? But then, then there's these little things. Day by day, God continues to work in us 
He continues to teach us. He continues to convict us of sin. And we repent. And, and with every act of repentance, there's change, isn't there? And sometimes it's just small steps. It's stepwise. But if you were to take your life now and, and consider your life in Christ and look back to your old life, I'm sure you'd say, God, you've done, you've done a lot in me to your glory, to your honor, to your praise. We're not done with this richness in Christ yet. You know what else? You're God's child. You're his child. Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. He's purchased us. And not only that, you're blessed because you belong to Jesus. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I can't really get my mind around that one. I don't know about you. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In other words, we're there now. I don't yet see it, but I believe it. We're also seated in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those two verses are similar. But not only that, you know, there's more. You are his workmanship. In other words, God's got his hand on you, and he's fashioning you, he's shaping you. Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what else? You're perfected in Christ. Colossians 1, verse 28, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may be present, every man perfect, in Christ Jesus. You're perfected in Christ. Maybe you're thinking, I don't feel so perfect. Well, your life is in, under the blood of Jesus Christ. So you have been perfected. Because of Christ, you also have boldness. Philemon chapter 1, verse 8, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ, to enjoin thee that which is convenient. We also, family, we have access to God. Hebrews 4, verse 16. And this is such a beautiful verse. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of judgment. No. Grace. <laughs> the throne of grace. There you go. Throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When is our time of need? For me, it's always. It's always. And I have access always. These things to me are absolutely incredible. Now, what did I do? And, and what did you do to receive all of this? Nothing. You said yes to Jesus. You see, all the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus. It's all about him. I'm so thankful that I am in Christ. 
and Christ is in me. Aren't you so thankful for that? Because you have all these blessings presently, right now, right where you're sitting. Now one final encouragement for today. In verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28, it begins with, and it shall come to pass, if thou shalt, circle if thou, and write because of Jesus. You see, I get the blessings because I'm in Christ. We receive the blessings because of the word of one. The word made flesh that dwells among us. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then in Romans 5.15, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. All because of one. Our precious Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we just don't realize what we have. And I think it's verses like this that we looked at tonight that show us, well, we have incredible richness in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, don't we? There's a hymn that I'm going to sing for you now. No, I'm going to sing it. (laughs) But I'm going to read it to you. (laughs) Who said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh? I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What a beautiful Savior. What a beautiful Savior. Yeah. There's more more, um, verses in this. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And now complete in him my robe, his righteousness. Close sheltered neath his side, I am divinely blessed. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. When from my dying bed my ransomed soul shall rise, Jesus died my soul to save, shall rend the vaulted skies. And And when before the throne... I stand in him complete. I'll lay my trophies down, all down at Jesus' feet. That's where they belong. Why? Because he's done it all. And and what a wonderful blessing it is knowing that he did it all and we're the recipients of all the blessings associated with our relationship in him. Because he's blessed, we're blessed. Because we're in him. The richness of being in Christ, immeasurable and beautiful. I'd like to invite our worship team up here now as we close in prayer and, and finish up with 
song, and maybe as, as the words are being sung and the songs are being brought forth, we can meditate on what God has done for us and, and the richness that we have simply because we belong to him. We're a rich people. Sometimes we don't really realize and acknowledge how rich we truly are, but I pray that some of these verses tonight just went right to your heart and you recognize how wealthy you are in Christ. Not about what's going on in the world, it's about what Christ has done in us. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that there's so many blessings in obedience. And we know that you gave Solomon warnings and he didn't heed the warnings. Uh, but, Lord, we just want to focus in on, on, on you because we want, to, we want to obey you. We want to hearken diligently to your word and walk with you. And we certainly even can't even walk with you by ourselves. We, we need you. We need you to help us and strengthen us for your purposes and, and help us to realize who we are in Christ tonight and all that you've done and the promises that, that you laid out in your word for us and every single one of them is yea and amen in Jesus. In Jesus. And we are in Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord, for availing yourself to us in your heart for us through your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's stand and worship Jesus.